Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports, episode number 175. A little bit of a milestone, baby milestone, on the way to 200. As always, for the 175th consecutive episode, if you were hoping for otherwise, you are sorely disappointed. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Now, you might hear it in my voice, I'm a little under the weather this week. That's why the episode's going up Saturday evening instead of Friday evening, but we're still up before football. If you're up late night Saturday, if you're up early Sunday and you're listening to this, thanks so much for tuning in. Um, Try to get it back on schedule next week. Like I said, just feeling a little under the weather between that and some other stuff going on. Uh, Just figured, take Friday, recoup a little bit. I was sounding worse yesterday, coughing up a lung. If you hear me coughing in here, I'll try and clip around it, pause and cut it out. Uh, If it sneaks through, my apologies. My voice, nothing I can do about that, however. Either way, hope you all enjoyed the sensational Week 7 that was, and you're ready to jump into some Week 8 action. Let's get started this week like we do every week with my standout 7. And as we have been doing lately, we're going to get started with the bigger story. This week, we're only going to have one, but it's a little bit of a three-parter. Some noteworthy losses in the past week for some NFL, you know, contenders. Bigger loss, the Bills loss. Now, granted, the Bills played again on Thursday Night Football and won, and we'll get to that when we do the primetime wrap-up, but I'm talking about their loss to the New England Patriots in Foxborough. The Bills loss on the road, the 49ers loss on the road, or the Detroit Lions loss. Let's. I was going to say demolition. Uh, on the road to Baltimore. Let's get started. Let's keep it, you know, alphabetical. Where does 49er fit into that? We'll go with F, right? So we'll keep them second. Let's talk about the Buffalo Bills losing to New England on the road. And this is a weird one. The Patriots wind up scoring 29 points in this game. Oh, by the way, coming into the fourth quarter of this game, it's 16 to 10. Buffalo's offense hadn't done much. They scored more in the fourth than they had in the first three quarters combined. Uh, Mac Jones in this one looked like the Mac Jones that everyone loved from a few years ago. 25 of 30. Tremendous. 272, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, they got some contributions on the ground. Zeke Elliott and Ramondre Stevenson combined for 65 yards and a touch. Uh, Kendrick Bourne looked pretty good. Demario Douglas. Four catches for 54, adding a 20-yard run. Um, Stevenson chipped in 50 yards receiving out of the backfield. The Mike Mike Gesicki winds up scoring a touchdown in this game. I'm not going to rip Mike Gesicki. I'm actually a Mike Gesicki fan. I don't really think that this signing has has been that impactful. I don't know. I feel like this is this continues the trend of them try and look. He's only making. 4.5 million contract stats per spot rack as per usual. But it reminds me of when they signed Janu Smith. And because presumably they're trying to emulate the successful offenses they had with two tight ends. And it just hasn't happened. Right? I mean, you look at Janu Smith, his time in New England as a whole, two years, right? He played in 30 games, he started 19, he had 55 catches. Right, the year before he signed with them, he had forty-one. So what? What do we hit? Eight touchdowns. He had one as a Patriot. He already has twenty-eight this year in Atlanta. He's not even the lead tight end. It's a similar role. Anyway, I, we don't need to dive too deep into this. Before we go on the Mike Gesicki thing, I think Gesicki's a good player. Hopefully, he works out for New England. We're talking about Buffalo. We're here to talk about Buffalo, and the fact of the matter is. This Buffalo team is 4-3, and three, and they're lucky to be 4-3. and three. They could have easily lost to the New York Giants. And depending on how confident you are in Chris Godwin's reach at the end of that game against the Buccaneers with the Hail Mary, this team could be sitting at 3-5. and five. I mean, how is that possible? This Buffalo team is tremendously talented. Somebody tell them. I mean, this is a rough one. And you take a look across the AFC, 
now they're sitting a half game behind Miami. By the way, they've beat Miami their first matchup, so they did what they have to do. Worth noting also, Buffalo has played eight games. They've played five games at home already. Five games. A little rough. They're leading the pack right now in the wild cards. They don't necessarily have to worry about missing the playoffs. But, I mean, I don't know. We've talked before about rounding into form. You know what I mean? And the Kansas City Chiefs and how I'm not necessarily impressed with the way they've been playing either, but they're just winning games and they're going to try and hit their their peak or their, uh, their stride as playoff time comes around. Maybe that'll be something similar for Buffalo, but the thing that Kansas City can lie back on and say, oh, by the way, they've won the Super Bowl twice with this same tandem being Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And Steve Spagnuolo. Um, the Bills haven't done that. The Bills haven't achieved anything. Anything at all. Buffalo's leading in this game 25-22, and they let Mac Jones walk down the field and win the game. What are we doing? I mean, there was a point in this game I even jotted down that there was a big drop, I thought, by Dawson Knox, and then it comes out after the game Dawson Knox is injured, so I'm not going to bash him here. But if Buffalo doesn't win the division, and or if we look around the AFC again, if they don't make it into a bye, because Kansas City's already six and one, Baltimore's five and two, the Jaguars are five and two, well, they know who to point the finger at, and it should be in the mirror. Our next team, let's talk about San Francisco losing their second game in a row. Right? I was talking about a couple weeks ago how I thought maybe they'd find a way to walk in, you know, to this Bengals matchup this week. And, you know, Bengals team coming off a bye. Let's see how the Bengals are going to look. Could this be like a Super Bowl preview of sorts? Well, after this game, we see that Brock Purdy's in the concussion protocol, though we hear that he's going to be okay. He throws two picks in this game after pretty much being the guy that never turns the ball over. Uh, Christian McCaffrey battling the oblique, 15 carries for 45 on the ground. Nothing crazy. George Kittle had a good game. Ayuk had a good game. No Debo for them out there. And they just don't put up enough points. I mean, their defense, 22 points isn't the end of the world, but you give up 378 yards to Kirk Cousins. I mean, 378 yards through the air. Jordan Addison looked like Justin Jefferson out there, which, by the way, who's the guy that told you he was going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year? This guy. Granted, they'll probably still give it to C.J. Stroud, quarterback bias and all that. But Jordan Addison is balling out. 11 catches for T.J. Hawkinson for 86 in this one. And that's, you know, the way it was. That's the way the cookie crumbles if you're Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers. And the big thing I wanted to point to here, watching this game, right, it's 10-7 after a San Francisco touchdown late in the first half. They'd already missed one field goal in this game. And you're like, all right, well, they played them pretty much even. Minnesota's going to try and cobble something together. Even if it gets to 13-7, it's not the end of the world. Cousins hits Addison. There's a broken tackle slash missed tackle, depending on how you want to look at it. And he goes all the way to the house. And then all of a sudden, instead of being 10-7, which should have been 10-10, it's not 13-7, it's 16-7. Now you're down two scores because they missed the PAT kind of bizarre. I mean, I don't really think of a lot of plays this year where I can think of this San Francisco defense missing tackles. They're pretty fundamentally sound. And I don't mention that to shine the shoes of D'Amico Ryans, who was there last year and kind of helped along the way, but it's unfortunate not to mention if the tackles made there, let's say they hold them to a field goal, this 22-17 all of a sudden is 19-17, which is a little bit more doable if you're San Francisco without Debo and not playing the best offensively. Also, ironically, it would have been the exact same score they lost the last week. Go figure. What is there to talk about with the Detroit Lions? Well, I thought that the Detroit Lions had a chance to go into Baltimore and say, you know what? We are a pretty darn good NFC team. And San Francisco stumbled last week, and then they went on to stumble again. And you know what? Philly got a couple of breaks in some of their games. Well, we don't need breaks. We're going to go into Baltimore, and we're going to show everybody, not only are we, oh, this plucky upstart Detroit team, look at us go. 
No, we are the number three team. Not Dallas, not Seattle, not the Rams, not whoever you want to pick from the clown fiesta that is the NFC South. And we'll talk about that a little later. But, no, it's us. And what happened? Um, well, you see, what had happened was 38-6. to It's 28 nothing at halftime. They don't score till the fourth quarter. Lamar, let me let this sink in, guys. Whether you're one of those, you know, kind of cornballs that's Lamar Jackson is a running back, oh, her, 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 or you're a guy that's like, wow, he's a mobile quarterback, and it really helps his skill set, you know what I mean? Or you think he's the greatest quarterback ever. 21 of 27 for 357 is insane passing stats for Lamar Jackson. That is one of, if not the best, passing games he can have. Oh, by the way, he chipped in 36 on the ground uh, to get just shy of 400 all-purpose and another touchdown on the ground. I mean, wow. I didn't know... I don't know if I'd say Detroit's defense was, like, elite or top-tier. I thought they were pretty good. I mean, they were good enough to beat Kansas City. Then again, I just said Kansas City wasn't really playing that great, and that was in Week 1. But on the other side, you also tend to think they got some firepower going. 33 of 53, 284 with a pick for Goff. I mean, the numbers are there. Jameer Gibbs, most yards he's had all season, I believe. 20 touches, catches, and runs combines for over 120 in this one. Amon Ross St. Brown, 13 catches for 100, doing his job. I mean, what happened? Lion fan, let me know what you think. Comment section if where you're listening has one. Social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. This game, I mean, I didn't even have notes on this game. They got blown out so bad. What is there to say? Throw it out with the bathwater, right? This is your worst loss of the season. For that reason, I will not say that they are the biggest loss. I will have to, have to default to the Buffalo Bills. Now, you want to make the argument for San Francisco because now they fall a full game behind Philly in the race for the one seed? Yeah, you can do that. Fair enough. I won't stop you. But uh, Debo going down, McCaffrey battling an injury, Purdy potentially injured in this one, right? It is what it is. Buffalo had the lead with under two minutes left. What are you doing? You're the better team. Just close it out. If only it were so easy. Number two in the standout seven, let's get to the primetime game wrap-up. We've already talked about Monday Night Football, which is the 49ers and the Vikings. We will talk about the Buffalo Bills' second game of the week in a second. However, let's touch on Miami and Philly. I picked this game last week, and I told you explicitly, if you were around, that I was not confident in picking the Miami Dolphins, and the longer I thought about it, I started turning the tide, and I was like, you know what, I'm probably going to be wrong here. Well, push came to shove, I was wrong. The Philadelphia Eagles are still an elite NFL team, right? I never said they weren't. However, I gave Miami two chances. I picked them to beat Buffalo, they lost. I picked them to beat Philly. Perhaps I'm a little too early on the Miami dominance, quote-unquote, run. Um, perhaps later in the year they'll redeem themselves, but in all honesty and in all seriousness, Miami's a pretty good team, but in all seriousness, uh, Philly just did what they always do, right? Hertz goes for 280 through the air. He throws a pick in this game after an egregious missed call, by the way, egregious on a fourth down to not call a face mask on a receiver, like awful. And then he throws a pick six because ball don't lie. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, there were people angry after this game. And you can make the argument, rightfully so, that, I mean, zero penalties on Philly the whole night? None. They played a perfect game. Admittedly, they did play a pretty perfect game. They really did. I'm not, I'm not trying to be that guy. Granted, like I said, the pick six and things like that, and they did give up 17, which is not crazy. But, uh, I mean, it's 24-17 at one point here. Tua makes an awful read and throws in double coverage. Tush push later on, fourth and one. Yeah, that was kind of icing the game. Huge game from A.J. Brown. Dallas Goddard chipping in. DeAndre Swift has been pretty darn good 
in his time as the Philadelphia Eagle behind a great offensive line with a good mobile quarterback and, you know, everything you'd want as a running back. Not knocking the guy, just saying. Been a boon to his career aspirations. Um, not a great matchup. It's, if you're going to beat Philly as the Miami Dolphins, uh, you need to get out ahead and you need to force them to be a little bit more one-dimensional, right? Because you can, they can stretch the field, but so can you. So if you can build that lead, like they're down, they're down at halftime in this game, 17-10, and they're just trying to scratch and claw their way back, but Philly's just going to run the ball. They're just going to run the ball all over you. If it's third and short, they're going to convert. If it's fourth and short, they're going to convert. If you look back in the off-season episodes, and I implore you to, you can scrub through, I talked about the tush-push or the brotherly shove, whatever you want to call it, the new-age QB sneak, realistically, and how it it needs some work in terms of from a strategic-slash-rule standpoint. It, it feels corny, right, to say you should outlaw something or change the rules surrounding something because of one team being really good at doing it, right? Like, imagine if the NBA outlawed the three-pointer because Golden State was really good at shooting threes. But Golden State's not the only team that shoots threes. They just got really good at it. You want to make the argument, oh, but Tom Brady was really good at QB sneaks. Yeah, that's fair. He's not the only QB that's good at sneaks, and I'm not saying you should outlaw the tush-push entirely. However... What I'm suggesting is the way that some QBs would do it where they reach the ball over the pile, you can knock the ball out, and that's free, right? If you knock it out, that's yours. I don't see any level of risk aside from maybe injury. I mean, cross your fingers if you're an Eagle fan. We saw, I believe it was was the Giants. It was somebody that got hurt shoving in the back or being shoved in the back via the tush push. Um... Even then, I, there's no more risk than a normal QB sneak in that situation of just bodies falling on top of you. The defense seems to be at a, a pretty significant disadvantage, and I don't know. I don't know what the NFL is going to do. I don't think they're going to do a darn thing, if I'm being completely honest with you. But I would understand if they did. Like I said, if it was something where you're not allowed to immediately engage in pushing the ball carrier unless they're, you know, taking it from a further back vantage, right? Where you'd be almost setting it up to be a direct snap to the running back, or if you want to use your QB like Jalen Hurts, sort of from a pistol perspective, instead of directly under center where you're immediately getting that leverage. Like I said, it would be lame if you're an Eagle fan because Jalen Hurts has abnormally strong legs for a QB. Everybody knows about it. And, uh, I mean, you don't see teams like the Baltimore Ravens doing it with Lamar Jackson. It's not something every mobile QB can do. Maybe it's just something that is uniquely his skill set, and one day we'll find somebody else who could do it, or they'll dream up something that could stop it. Because, I mean, even a Palomalu sort of jump over the top thing, even if you know it's coming, you got to have perfect timing to pull that off and not be off sides. Uh, I mean, do you want them to be pushing in the backside of the D lineman now? Or, like, what are we doing? Right? The whole thing's a little bizarre. And I feel like it, it comes on the back of what we already saw last year that I discussed during our playoff push uh, episodes where plays are getting allowed to go longer, right? Longer and longer and longer where a player looks like his forward progress is stopped. Oh, no, here comes a random teammate to push him. Oh, but here comes the linebacker to push the defender as well. The play's over. We're not playing rugby. We're playing NFL football by American football rules. It's a little weird. Why am I ranting about this? Just because it's, you know, it's it's a little obnoxious. It's a little obnoxious. Either way, tremendous win by Philly. Not the worst loss by the Miami Dolphins. Sometimes you're just not as good as the other guy. Um, and, you know, you take a look at the way I talked about some of these other losses in number one here in the standout seven. I think you can make an argument there is a difference. Miami is facing Philly, the defending NFC champion. Buffalo's facing New England on the road. They don't even know if Mac Jones is going to be their starter within a month, right? Detroit facing Baltimore. 
you could say is similar. However, they got blown out. This wound up a two-score game, but I wouldn't say that Miami got blown out. They were in it for the bulk of this game. They kept it competitive for the bulk of this game. And if you're a Dolphin fan, you're probably yelling about the penalties right now. And then you have San Francisco. They lose a close game. That's a bad loss. That's not defensible. Come on. Lose to Minnesota. Minnesota is trying to pull off something that is not really done in terms of salvaging their season. Good win for the Eagles over another competitor. Another contender, I should say. That brings us to Thursday Night Football. Buccaneers, Bills, what do we have to talk about? I mean, Tampa makes this close with some help from the Zebras and a two-point conversion. And like I said, a Hail Mary that was was doable. Almost. Like that Gronkowski Hail Mary in the second uh, Giants-Patriots Super Bowl back in 2011. It was close. Um, Josh Allen turns the ball over again in this one. This is a game that they should win. I'm not really going to nitpick Buffalo. It was a good win for them. Good-ish, right? Team you should beat. But you, you got to try and get Josh to rein in the turnovers, right? Like, we're pushing into, you know, people make fun of Dak. People make fun of uh, Brett Favre. Like, the guy's got eight interceptions in eight games. Like, what are we doing? 14 picks last year, 15 the year before. Maybe that's just going to be who he is, and he's going to throw 14, 15 interceptions a year. But he's an elite quarterback. I mean, in 2020 through 10, he has the ability to do it. There is significant talent around him as well. It's just a little bit of flukiness and some decision-making. And realistically, I think that's something they need to clean up because they haven't gotten over that hump, and sometimes that has been part of the issue of why they don't get over the hump. Granted, you want to talk about the Chiefs winning because the Chiefs got the ball, they win the game. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. But still, you got to clean it up a little bit, Josh Allen. Number three in the standout seven, I want to talk about the Raiders. Why? Because the Raiders lost to Tyson Bajant. 21 of 29, a buck 62 in a touch, and he ran for 24 yards. They gave up 30 points to a backup quarterback-led Chicago Bears team with Deonta Foreman. Deonta? Deontay? Apologies. Deonta, let's go Deontay. Deontay Foreman as their lead back. Deontay Foreman was pretty good last year in Carolina. I mean, he's not a bad running back. But what's going on, Raiders? And then the thing that is intriguing to me is they don't have Garoppolo for this game. Okay, it happens, right? I think we said last week he was listed as concussion protocol, which I'm reading directly from the NFL website. That's what he was listed as. He didn't have a concussion. He had a back problem, right? Didn't he leave with a back injury? I don't know why it said that, but it dawned on me after the episode. Um, Either way, so they go with Brian Hoyer in this game. Now, Raider fan, you tell me, comment section, social media, you know the deal. Why is this game any different than the other game where they went with Aiden O'Connell. I don't understand. Uh, Aiden O'Connell in that other game, 24 of 39, 238 in an interception. Not tremendous, but not bad, and that was against the Chargers. This is the Chicago Bears. O'Connell comes in, admittedly throws another pick, 10 of 13, 75 yards and a touchdown. Brian Hoyer's barely over 50% completion percentage. 17 of 32, a buck 29, and two picks. What are we doing? Like, I, I don't get it. Josh Jacobs go, gets the ball on the ground 11 times for 35 yards. Obviously, it's a backup QB. You're going to try and stuff the run, and they did their job. We talked about Devontae Adams the week before, talking about how he needs his stats. He needs his stats. He doesn't care about winning. Well, he had seven catches for 57 in this one, and your team lost. So... I don't understand. And realistically, the reason I'm bringing up the Raiders is because, unbeknownst to the Raiders, I would argue, they're certainly in the thick of it in the AFC wildcard. Right now, the leading wildcard would be Buffalo. We talked about them before. Then it's crowded. 
We've got Pittsburgh and Cleveland at four and two, and they've still got to face off. And then we've got the Raiders at three and four. Actually, it might be the Jets at three and three, but we're talking percentage. They haven't all played the same number of games. Either way, they are in the thick of it. Their point differential is negative 49. They're one and three on the road. Their quarterback's been hurt multiple times already. I'm just perplexed by this Raiders team. I don't know. I don't think they're very good. I didn't think they'd be great bringing in Jimmy Garoppolo to be their guy. Um, But then again, their record says they're decent. They almost put up a, you know, 24-17 loss to the Chargers, granted Brandon Staley. But, I mean, it's a close loss. You go to Chicago to the 1-5 Bears and get blown out? How does that happen? And why Hoyer over O'Connell? I don't get it. What kind of four-dimensional chess is Josh McDaniels playing? By going with Hoyer this time, but not the last time. I don't understand. I truly don't. Not to mention, this is a guy that's supposed to be offensive-minded coach. You've got Josh Jacobs, who I would argue is easily a top 10 running back in the league. We won't even do nitty-gritty. Top 10 easily, right? Devontae Adams, at least in years past, easily top 10 wide receiver in the league. You scored 12 points. Well, we didn't have our quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, you knew that coming in. You're not facing the 85 Bears. You're facing the 23 Bears. They're not good. (laughs) I'm kind of dumbfounded by this guy. To the point where I had to bring it up on the show. In a week where my voice is escaping me. I could not do this episode without rambling about the Las Vegas Raiders and how I have no idea what that team is. Number four in the standout seven, let's talk about Deshaun Watson, right? Let's talk about Deshaun Watson and a name you probably haven't heard in a while, unless you've heard about this, Brady Quinn. Now, if anybody knows about disappointing Browns fans, Brady Quinn would be on that list. Here's what we have Brady Quinn's comments on Deshaun Watson. Everyone with a medical opinion has cleared Deshaun Watson. The situation is almost similar to a kid getting a $230 million trust fund. He's referring to his contract, of course. You ask them to get a job, and they have no incentive to do it. Quinn on Watson coasting through his mega contract and his unwillingness to play through injury. Thank you, Catch the Blitz, for that one. I didn't editorialize that. That's what the post says. Adam Schefter then posted... Some clarity on Deshaun Watson's injury. Doctors told him he has a strain of the subscapularis within the rotator cuff, and he continues to have both pain and weakness with movement. This type of injury in baseball causes pitchers to miss four to six weeks. Watson continues to work to regain strength and velocity in his shoulder and shorten that window. I wanted to bring this up because I thought it was interesting, Uh, which is the point of the show, isn't it? At the least to intrigue you, at the most to make you laugh. Uh... So, as I alluded to, Brady Quinn, known bust, right? Didn't work out. He knows that. We know that. It's intriguing to me that he came out so brazenly and said that, you know, Deshaun Watson's been cleared. I I hadn't read that report. Maybe he's got some sources. Maybe he read a report I didn't read. And then, obviously, some pushback from other sources who go to Adam Schefter to, uh, when you leak something through Adam Schefter, it sounds more legitimate, right? Rather than just randomly online. That being said, we talked about this before, and I just want to reiterate that the Deshaun Watson trade has been an utter disappointment for the Cleveland Browns. And it's hard, looking back on the guy they traded for, to think that somehow... He's disappointing them in his age 28 season. Again, we don't even have to go with the 4,800 yards year that I always mention, right? Where they were 4-12. and 12. The years before, right? 38-52 in terms of yardage. 67.3% completion percentage. This is 2019, by the way. 26 touchdowns, 12 picks. He's 
he's 24 years old. The year before, he gets sacked 62 times. Might make you gun, you know, gun shy, trigger happy. 68% completion percentage. 4,165 yards. 26 touchdowns, 9 picks. You know what his stats are since he joined the Cleveland Browns? Granted, the starts total, I think, is inflated because he only threw a handful of passes this last game. 10 games, 59.6% completion percentage, 1,785 yards, 11 touchdowns to 8 picks. In a 10-game stretch, he has 8 interceptions. Interesting. Interesting. That's on par with, like, his rookie numbers where he played in six or seven games, and he threw eight interceptions as a rookie. Huh. Say what you will about Deshaun Watson off the field, and there are many things to be said. But on the field, he was supposed to be elite or pushing into elite. The trade made sense. It's been utterly disappointing. And uh, I wanted to throw this in here just because it's hilarious to hear Brady Quinn ripping Deshaun Watson. That'll bring us to number five in the standouts. I want to talk about a proposed rule change by none other than the owner of the Indianapolis Colts. Jim Ursay said the NFL admitted privately that the officiating crew botched two calls late that went against the Colts in the final 50 seconds of their game against the Cleveland Browns. To keep that from happening again, Ursay is proposing a rule that would make all calls reviewable in the last two minutes. Ursay on X said, The NFL admits and understands they did not make correct calls at the end of the Colts-Browns game. I believe we need to institute instant replay for all calls, including penalties, in the last two minutes of all games. Now, the argument would be for pass interference, on the one pass interference call, the ball appeared uncatchable. The thing is, though, if the contact is there before the ball is thrown, even if the ball is uncatchable, it would have resulted in a flag. Like, am I mistaken on that? Let me know. Colt fan, Brown fan, whatever, football fan. I mean, the contact was relatively significant. So the ball went overhead. Okay, so instead of pass interference ball at the one, you'd wind up with, because they're at, I believe, about the seven or eight yard line you'd wind up with half the distance. We're talking a a six-foot difference here. And I realize it's the red zone. Six feet is meaningful. I get it. But we're hemming and hawing, and that's really not necessarily... I don't know. I think it's a little obnoxious. Uh, Additionally, Tom Pelissero saying, the NFL communicates with teams on a weekly basis about various calls. Officials are prohibited from commenting publicly on those discussions. That would be team officials, not referees. Now, a team owner has publicly said the league admitted to officiating mistakes. Stay tuned. Sounds like Ursa could be in some hot water for taking his complaints public. Per CBS Sports' John Breach. Or Breach. Either way, I thought this was interesting. Is it feasible to review every call in the last two minutes? I don't think so. Um... The NBA has a review system that is utilized, you know, late calls that matter. Now they have the challenge system. They have had for a couple of years. I don't know about all calls. I don't think that's a good idea. Could we outline some calls that should be reviewable? I guess. But in a world where people love to talk about how no one has an attention span anymore... You're going to flesh out your games that are already three to three and a half hours normally to the three and a half to four hour mark. Is the common NFL fan going to mind? I don't think so. Then again, you're talking to a guy that didn't mind really the pace of play in baseball. Do I love that everyone's swinging for the fences? No, but that's just kind of where the game is. It is what it is. And then obviously they instituted a pitch clock and things like that. Pitch clock worked pretty well. But we're not here to talk about baseball. We're here to talk about the NFL and a potential rule change. This would have changed significant moments in NFL history. Now here's the question I have. Is it only if the flag is thrown? Because 
He calls for all calls, including penalties. Now, notably, in my opinion at least, that would not include a non-call like happened in the Rams-Saints game. That was a no-call. So would you then again be opening the door to challenging to add a penalty? Or reviewing, I should say. Right? We had the, the pass interference reviews for a little while there. I thought it was a decent idea. Got rid of it pretty quick. I think on this show we even talked about potentially, why don't you have a flag for normal play call reviews and then uh, another flag, like a blue flag for penalty reviews? Okay. I don't think we'll wind up in a place where Ursay can get enough people on his side to pass a review every call in the last two minutes. Because it grinds the game to a halt. And sometimes, honestly, the NBA still suffers from this. It still sometimes suffers from the last two minutes taking five ever in a day. The NFL has it sometimes as well, but big NBA games, it happens significantly. I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. Would you be in favor of reviewing all calls? That's that's a lot. That's a big ask. Number six in the standout, seven. I just want to look at the NFC South. <coughs> Excuse me. And I just want to talk about what we're looking at here. The NFC South, as we stand right now, entering our week eight of action. We have the Carolina Panthers, winless, utterly in the tank. Got it. Okay, 0-6. We have the division leader, Atlanta Falcons, at 4-3. Then we have Tampa Bay and New Orleans at 3-4 each. Throw a dart at a board for who you think is going to win this division. It is utterly up in the air. And the fascinating part, Looking at some of the statistics is how similar some of the things they're they're dealing with or they're going through here are. For example, passing yards by their starting quarterbacks. Now, there is a discrepancy because there is a little bit of yards on Jameis Winston, and I think Taysom Hill completed a couple of passes. Starting QBs. Derek Carr has 1,600 yards. Baker Mayfield has 1,600 yards. Yes, actually. Desmond Ritter has 1,630 yards. How? How how do you all wind up within with spitting distance? Like, that's, that's just kind of bizarre. Um, I don't know. I just want to throw that in there. Either way, the reason I bring it up is because they're clustered around, and it is so clear that they're going to be... Whoever wins this division is going to be the four seed, right? Is that, is that me going on a limb here? Are you expecting a San Francisco collapse or a Detroit collapse or a Philly collapse? Those teams will likely win their divisions, and they will win their divisions with a better record than any of these teams. They're probably going to be around 500 like they were last year. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to put it out there because we're getting towards the midseason point, and really I'll advertise to you that we're going to do our midseason recap in episode 177 when we get to week 10. That's what we did last year. Um, and we'll talk midseason awards and all that. But in trying to get ahead and doing some prep work for that, I, I have no idea who's going to win this division. Obviously, with the uh, recent arrest as well of New Orleans Saints Chris Olave, who is a stud young receiver, it throws it even more into chaos, right? Even more. Not to mention if there will be trades at the deadline. There was Mike Evans' name was kicked around there a little bit. Um, Atlanta could be the team. I could see that happening. Last year, they were almost the team. Desmond Ritter turned the ball over a little too much. He turned the ball over a little too much this past week alone. Um, and that's going to be a little bit of a bugaboo for them if they're going to... I don't think they should bench Ritter or anything, but if this is going to be his team for the year and they won that game, <coughs> they're going to have to deal with the turnovers now and again. Number seven in the standout seven. Let's just wrap up and move on. Couldn't get through the show. We didn't mention it earlier. It slipped my mind, actually, that Kevin Byard of the Tennessee Titans was dealt to the Philadelphia Eagles. Yet another good get for the Eagles in a deal with Tennessee. Wow. It's, uh, 
And it's convenient. I mean, don't don't let them call on Derrick Henry. Though, supposedly, Tennessee has since said that they will not be moving Derrick Henry. That is not going to happen. Right? Um, more news and notes here. Kareem Jackson suspended for four games after being ejected last week for another helmet-to-helmet hit. I think we talked about this on the show. If not, I'll bring it here now. I mean, the guy's been penalized for high hits, like, what, three or four times this year already? Come on. Like, it's not even the the James Harrison where it's like, oh, you're getting targeted by the league. Like, no, dude, you're hurting people. What are you doing? We talked about trade targets, I believe it was a few weeks ago, and he was on that list. And I was like, it's not going to happen. Now he's suspended for four games. It definitely won't happen. News and notes continuation here. Justin Fields is going to be out a few weeks more. Jimmy G is, let's see, I believe he's going to be back for Monday Night Football. Good to go is the official listing here. Uh, Brock Purdy cleared to go against the Bengals. No injury designation. Uh, There was rumors that Daniel Jones might miss the rest of the year. That's not going to happen. Adam Schefter says he will likely come back against the Cowboys in week 10 to get blown out, of course, because they don't beat the Cowboys, they being the Giants. A little bit of controversy around Jalen Ramsey coming back this week or not, but he is coming off of IR, and he is expected to play this week versus the Patriots. Kyler Murray could be back next week against the Cleveland Browns, which is, I mean, a good defense to come back against. Might as well test him out, I guess, right away. Debo Samuel is going to be out at least another two weeks, is what we're hearing. Uh, Dawson Knox likely to go to the IR. We talked about him before. Uh, Steve Smith reportedly apologized to Jerry Judy, but you know what? We didn't we didn't do this story justice, and quite honestly, I'm losing my voice a little bit. We'll come back to this one next week if you all want to hear about it. We'll see how the week goes. If there's more news and we can't do it, that's fine. I don't think you'll be heartbroken about missing out on that one. That'll bring us to the end of my standout seven and take us into my favorite part, your favorite part of the week, the pick portion of this week's episode. We're going to get started with a New Jersey toilet bowl. The Jets stay home and take on the home team, New York Giants. I yay yay. 1 p.m. kick from East Rutherford, New Jersey. The Jets are going to be without offensive lineman Joe Tipman with a quad. Doubtful wide receiver Irv Charles with a shoulder. Questionable wide receiver Randall Cobb with a shoulder. D-lineman Will McDonald with a back. And DB Michael Carter the second with a hammy. That's for the Jets, of course. The Giants on the other side. Going to be without Daniel Jones. Still battling that neck injury. Going to be without backup running back Gary Brightwell with a hammy. Doubtful left tackle Andrew Thomas with a hammy as well. Who got his money and then has unfortunately been able to get back on the field. Questionable tight end Darren Waller with a hamstring injury as well. Tackle Evan Neal, oh no, with an ankle. Center John Michael Schmitz with a shoulder. Pass rusher Kayvon Thibodeau with a knee. And corner Adoree Jackson with a neck. This is a weird one to pick, because a few weeks ago, might have been last week even, I was giving the Jets their roses and saying, you know what, they made it through this tough stretch. They did it with their backup quarterback, They played remarkably well. They beat the Bills. They beat a couple other teams. They played Kansas City close. Um, It's impressive, right? But then, you got to remember also, it's the Jets, right? So they're going into a game against the Giants that they should win. The Giants are without their quarterback. The Giants are without their left tackle. Might be without their starting tight end. Would it not be on brand for the New York Jets to find a way to lose this game? However, immovable object versus unstoppable force, it would also be on brand for the New York Giants to lose this game. Granted, the Giants did beat the Jets. What was it? When they played in 11? I'm not sure who won in 15 or 19. It doesn't matter to you, and it doesn't matter to me. I'm not looking it up. It has no bearing on this matchup, other than to say that these teams can trade with each other. Oh, tremendous. Uh, Trade is in win one, win one, not trade as in literal trade. But I digress. Tyrod Taylor has looked decent with the Giants offense. They almost beat the Buffalo Bills. Um, and they're coming off of a win over the Washington Commanders, who I think are a decent team in the NFC, arguably a wild card contender. 
do I think the Jets are going to win this game? They should. They realistically should. Will Brian Dable somehow be able to win the battle of wits with Robert Sala or Coach Roberto Salad, as I like to call him? I don't think so. I was leaning Big Blue, but I'm going to take the Jets. I was leaning Big Blue until I saw Waller on the injury report with Thibodeau. Thomas isn't going to go. You know what? It won't shock me when they lose, but give me the Jets to win this one at home. On the road, actually, technically, but whatever. Nobody outside the Tri-State area cares about this game. Let's be frank. Next, we've got an interesting matchup as the Jacksonville Jaguars head to not Heinz Field to take on the Steelers. Jaguars got to be without wide receiver Zay Jones with a knee injury and corner Gregory Jr. with a hammy. Questionable for them in this one, Trevor Lawrence with a knee injury. Two offensive linemen, Walker Little and Brandon Scherf with a knee and ankle respectively, as well as two DBs, Tyson Campbell with a hammy and Andre Sisco also with a hammy. Steelers listing just three is questionable. All corners. James Pierre with an ankle, Joey Porter Jr. with a calf, and Levi Wallace with a foot. This could be a gritty, dirty, ugly game. And uh, Pittsburgh finds ways to win those games pretty frequently. However, I'm on the Jags train. Have been since the beginning of the season. Give me the Jaguars to win this one on the road. Next, we've got an NFC East rematch. Yes, already. The Eagles head to the DMV to take on the Washington Commanders. Eagles going to be without corner Bradley Roby with a shoulder injury. Questionable for them, D-lineman Jordan Davis with a hammy. Commanders going to be without guard Sadiq Charles with a calf and linebacker Cody Barton with an ankle injury. Questionable wide receiver Curtis Samuel with a foot. I think Philly's going to win this one. I wouldn't go so far as to say Philly's got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder this year, but the Commanders showed that they can run with them in Philly. Commanders coming off of, you know, kind of an embarrassing loss for a team that should be looking to be a playoff contender, in my purview. Embarrassing to lose to the New York Giants. Embarrassing even more to not put up 10 points against the New York Giants. Um, A team that the Cowboys beat 40 to nothing. That being said, Philly, at the end of the day, is just a better team. Give me the Eagles to win this one on the road. Next, we've got a little bit of an interesting one here. The L.A. Rams head to Jerry World to take on the Dallas Cowboys. The Rams going to be without tight end Hunter Long with a hamstring injury. Questionable wide receiver Ben Skoranek with an Achilles. Offensive lineman Rob Havenstein with a calf. And linebacker Ernest Jones with a knee. Cowboys questionable tackle Tyron Smith with a neck injury. I might surprise you here. I'm going to take the L.A. Rams to win this game on the road. I think this one could turn into a weird shootout. I'm thinking somewhere in the neighborhood of like hmm, 35-31 sort of thing. There will be points in this matchup, right? And I think with Cup and Nakua both there, you know what? Let's see if the Rams can't put up some points and beat the Dallas Cowboys on the road. Not to mention, with Philly looking a little vulnerable, the Dallas Cowboys got to find a way to put themselves in a not advantageous situation, right? That's just what they do. So what better way to do that than to lose at home to the LA Rams? Next, we've got an NFC North matchup as the Vikings, led by Kirko, take on the Green Bay Packers from Lambeau Field. The Vikings going to be without Kenny Nwangwu in the backfield for this one, as well as linebacker Brian Asamoah with an ankle. Questionable. Wide receiver Jalen Naylor with a hamstring injury and guard Ezra Cleveland with a foot. On the other side of the field, the Packers listing a handful of players as questionable, starting with tight end Luke Musgrave with an ankle, offensive lineman Josh Myers also with an ankle, linebacker Devondre Campbell, you won't believe me, but with an ankle, and star corner Jair Alexander with a back injury. I'm going to have to go with the Vikings. I think the Vikings stumbled out of the gate pretty significantly, but they're sitting at 3-4, and four, and this Green Bay team is beatable. These guys just lost to the Denver Broncos. If you can lose to the Denver Broncos, you can lose to Big Kirko. You know what? Give me the Vikings on the road. Also noteworthy, this is not a primetime game, so you're going to get actual Kirk Cousins in this game in all likelihood. 
The only cause to pause I have is without Jefferson, Jordan Addison's going to have to contend with Jair Alexander if he is out there. Um, that's a tough matchup. Let's see what the kid can do. Next, we've got the Atlanta Falcons heading to Tennessee to take on the Titans. Falcons going to be without linebacker Tay Davis, who's in the concussion protocol. And questionable, another linebacker, Bud Dupree, with a groin injury. Titans going to be without their quarterback in this one. Ryan Tannehill missing this one with an ankle injury. Tight end Josh Wiley, who's in the concussion protocol. And corner Roger McCreary with a hamstring injury. Questionable, D-lineman Naquan Jones, who has an illness. This is an interesting game. Um, this, I, I alluded to this a few weeks ago. There's certain matchups that you look at the Titans and you go, hmm, is Derrick Henry just going to go for 175 yards in this game? This feels like a game where he could do that, right? Where he could just throw up a crazy stat line, maybe even throw a touchdown in this game. But, but if Desmond Ritter doesn't turn the ball over, the Falcons should win this game against the backup QB. Give me the Falcons to win this one on the road. Next, we have an AFC East matchup as the New England Patriots head down to Miami to take on Mike McDaniel's Dolphins. Patriots going to be without offensive lineman Calvin Anderson with an illness and Vidarian Lowe with an ankle, as well as Josh Uche at linebacker with an ankle-slash-toe injury. Meanwhile, on the questionable side of things... Trent Brown is questionable for this one on the offensive line with an ankle-slash-knee injury. D-lineman Christian Barmore with a knee. D-lineman Keon White is in the concussion protocol. D-lineman Dietrich Wise Jr. with a shoulder. DBs Jonathan Jones and Sean Wade with a knee and shoulder, respectively. The Dolphins going to be without wide receiver River Craycraft with a shoulder injury and safety Javon Holland with a concussion. Questionable, running back Alec Ingold with a foot. Running back Raheem Mostert with an ankle and an army of corners, including Cam Smith with a foot, Xavier Howard with a groin, Nick Needham with an Achilles, and Jalen Ramsey with a knee, though we just talked about before, he is expected to go in this one. Realistically, are you are you telling me that you expect me to pick the Patriots to beat the Dolphins and Bills back-to-back? Number 12's not coming through that door. If Mac Jones pulls this off, you gotta take some of the Take some of the heat off him. Leave him alone. However, I don't think he does. Give me the Dolphins to win this one at home. Next, we got a Super Bowl rematch featuring none of the players and coaches that were in the first one. The New Orleans Saints head to Indy to take on Jim Irsay's Colts. Saints could be without offensive lineman James Hurst with an ankle injury. Questionable, Taysom Hill, X-Factor, whatever you want to call him, with a chest injury. Tight end Jimmy Graham with an illness. Offensive lineman Max Garcia with an illness, and Andrews Pete with an ankle. On the defensive side, linebacker Demario Davis with a knee, corner Alante Taylor with a hip, and three safeties, JT Gray, Tyron Matthew, and Marcus May with a hammy foot and a hammy slash illness, respectively. The Colts on the other side can be without tight end Kylan Granson, who's still in the concussion protocol. Ty, uh, excuse me, tackle Braden Smith with a hip slash wrist injury and corner Juju Brents with a quad. High-quality name, by the way, Juju. Questionable, running back Zach Moss with an elbow-slash-heel, D-lineman Eric Johnson with an ankle, and corner Tony Brown with a rib injury. This is a battle of, like, weird teams. If Anthony Richardson were in this game, I would pick the Colts' hands down. I should pick the Saints, but I- I'm assuming Chris is not going to play. Uh, is that a, p- a proper assumption, considering he was under arrest a handful of days ago? Which, okay. So without him, not to mention Derek Carr has not been tremendous. He hasn't been awful, but he really hasn't been great um, for the New Orleans Saints. You know what? Give me Minshew. If I have a chance to pick Minshew and it's remotely close, I'm going to do it. Give me the Colts to win this one at home. Next, we got a battle of high draft picks in our final 1 o'clock kick as the Houston Texans head to Carolina to take on the Panthers. Texans going to be without wide receiver Robert Woods with a foot injury, tight end Brevin Jordan with a foot injury, and D-tackle Sheldon Rankins with a knee. Questionable wide receiver Xavier Hutchinson with a foot, tackle Titus Howard with a knee slash hand, and D-lineman Hassan Ridgeway with a calf. Panthers going to be without safety Von Bell with a quad, wide receiver LaVisca Chenault with an ankle injury. 
Questionable offensive lineman Taylor Moton with a knee. Outside linebacker Kamu Grugier-Hill with an illness. Linebacker Brian Burns with an elbow. Frankie Louvu with a hip. And safety Xavier Woods with a hammy. I would say so far this season it's not really close who's played better. Um, I don't know if I'd necessarily say it's due to a better supporting cast either. I think it might just be a, a little bit of coaching and a little bit of scheming. I'm going to take the Texans to win this one on the road and improve to shockingly 4-3 and three on the season and drop the Panthers down to 0-7. Next, we move into the mid-afternoon. Slate, our lone 405 kick is between the Cleveland Browns and the Seattle Seahawks. Riveting, I know. Cleveland going to be without Deshaun Watson, who's battling that shoulder injury we discussed earlier. Questionable, running back Jerome Ford with an ankle. Wide receiver Marquise Goodwin with a back. Tackle Jedrick Wills Jr. with a foot-slash-ankle. And linebacker Sione Takitaki, all-time name, with a hamstring injury. Seahawks going to be without running back Kenny McIntosh with a knee. And nose tackle Austin Folu with a knee injury as well. Doubtful, guard Phil Haynes with a calf. Questionable. Wide receiver Tyler Lockett with a hammy, and safety Jamal Adams with a knee injury. The Browns' defense is really good, I think, sometimes. P.J. Walker's not bad. Um, The injury to Jerome Ford gives me a little cause to pause, not to mention this game is in Seattle. I'm going to take the Seahawks and Geno Smith to piece together enough points, along with Kenny Walker grinding out some possessions to win this one at home. Next, we've got a Super Bowl rematch from a long, long time ago and what could be a Super Bowl preview from this year. Our first game in the 425 slate, the Cincinnati Bengals, fresh off their bye, head to Santa Clara, California to take on the Niners. Bengals going to be without running back Chase Brown with a hammy and linebacker Akeem Davis-Gaither with a knee. Wide receiver Debo Samuel is going to miss this one for the 49ers with a shoulder injury questionable, but it appears he's going to go Brock Purdy, fresh out of the concussion protocol, which is odd. You don't see a guy enter and get out of it within the same week very often, especially if he entered it during the middle of the work week. Uh, Also questionable, their Pro Bowl caliber tackle Trent Williams with an ankle injury. Now, you might be wondering, Nick, you were a big Bengals guy. They're coming off a bye. Are you going to take the bait again? Or... Have I inverted my opinion on the Niners? Am I going to bait myself into taking them? With no Debo, a little bit of an ailing Christian McCaffrey, and Brock Purdy, who got out of the protocol pretty quick. Um, And for that reason, I'm going to go with the former. I am 100% going to bait myself into taking Joe Burrow again. And uh, I'm probably going to be wrong, and Bosa's going to be on him about two or three times. But you know what? I'm going down with the ship. This Bengals team has too much talent. The 49ers are in a weird spot. They're a little beat up. Give me the Bengals to pull off a a minor upset with air quotes on the road. Next, our second 425 game is a AFC West showdown. Excuse me, an AFC West showdown. As the Kansas City Chiefs head to Denver to take on the Broncos. Chiefs going to be without linebacker Nick Bolton with a wrist injury. And Broncos listing just one as well. Questionable wide receiver Brandon Johnson with a hammy. The interesting thing about this game that I felt the need to bring up for y'all, per Adam Schefter, forecast for Sunday's game in Denver calls for a high of 29 degrees, a low of 13, and a forecast of 6 to 14 inches of snow. Will we get that? Probably not. Uh, Usually when they tell you in advance, it doesn't happen like it should, but when it happens randomly... That Saturday night or Sunday morning, you wind up with a foot. That being said, it's the Kansas City Chiefs against the Denver Broncos. We're taking Kansas City to win this one on the road. Our final afternoon game is a battle of the birds. You know I love those. The Baltimore Ravens heading to Arizona to take on Josh Dobbs, perhaps for the last time this season, and the Arizona Cardinals. Ravens going to be without their safety, Marcus Williams with a hammy. Questionable, running back Keaton Mitchell with a hammy as well. Wide receiver Tylen Wallace with a hammy as well. And linebacker Adafe Owe with an ankle. Cardinals going to be without one on the O-line, one on the D-line. Elijah Wilkinson with a neck and Kevin Strong with a shoulder. Also, linebacker Chris Barnes is going to miss this one with a hamstring injury. 
Kyler Murray is listed as doubtful with a knee injury. I don't think he's going to make an appearance in this one, but you never know. Questionable, wide receiver Greg Dortch with an ankle. Corner, Antonio Hamilton with a groin. And safety, Jalen Thompson with a hamstring injury. Baltimore just beat up the Detroit Lions. Which means if they keep to their pattern, they'll win this game by about four. But I still got them winning this one on the road. Next, we move into the primetime slate. Unfortunately for everyone, our only game on Sunday night, you know, is uh, an optimistic casting. The Chicago Bears taking on the L.A. Chargers from Los Angeles. Two and five versus two and four. What could go wrong? The Bears going to be without Justin Fields, still battling that thumb injury, as well as O-lineman Nate Davis with an ankle and two DBs, Jaquan Brisker and Terrell Smith, who are both listed as having an illness. Questionable O-lineman Dan Keeney with a knee and DB Eddie Jackson with a foot. Chargers on the other side, questionable. Two wide receivers, Jalen Guyton with a knee and Joshua Palmer with a knee, as well as tight end Gerald Everett with a hip injury. On the defensive side, Otito Ogbenaya with a knee injury. Uh, safety Alohi Gilman with a heel and DB Dean Leonard with a hammy. I'm not taking the Bears, guys. I'm not doing it. I can't. I mean, as much as Tyler Bagent has a little bit of that chutzpah to him, a little bit of that Minshew magic, if you will, you know, a random meh player who just finds a way to pull some stuff together, it's not going to be enough. There's no way, right? I will give you a hot take right now. If the Chargers lose in prime time at home to the Chicago Bears, Brandon Staley should not have a job by the end of the year. You could make the argument he shouldn't have a job by Thanksgiving if that happens. I'm just saying, folks. Is anything I just said inaccurate? What has he done to inspire confidence in you, the Charger fan? Who do they have after the Bears? The Jets. If you lose to the Bears, you can lose to the Jets. Then they have Detroit. If this team's sitting at what? Three and... What are they? I said they were two and four. If they're sitting at three and six, no way. What's the point? Move on. Either way. I don't see it happening. I think they'll win a couple of those games. Well, no, they might be three and six. They Four and five. Who knows? Uh, give me the Chargers to win this one at home in prime time. Then Monday Night Football, 8-15 from Ford Field in Detroit, Michigan. The Las Vegas Rees take on the Detroit Lions. And I'll be darned, we have a Monday Night Football. Oh, no, we always have the Monday Night Football injury report. I'm thinking of Thursday Night Football. Uh, The Raiders, going to be without linebacker Divine Diablo, all-time name, with an ankle. Questionable, linebacker Curtis Bolton with a knee. Tough week to be a linebacker named Bolton. Nick Bolton going to miss the game. Curtis Bolton might miss his as well. Uh, Corner Nate Hobbs with an ankle. And their kicker, Daniel Carlson, also questionable with a groin injury. Kind of don't want any lower body injuries if you are a kicker. Lions going to be without their starting running back, David Montgomery, with a rib injury. Though, the way Jameer Gibbs played last week, albeit in a loss, not sure he'll be the starter when he gets back. Uh, Also going to be without offensive lineman Jonah Jackson with an ankle. Doubtful, center Frank Ragnow with a toe-slash-calf. Questionable, another lineman in Vitae with a back injury. D-lineman Benito Jones with an ankle, as well as Josh Paschal with a knee. And linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez with an ankle injury. I can't make heads or tails of the Raiders, just like I can't make heads or tails of the NFC South. I'm going to take Detroit to bounce back from an awful loss with a win at home. I mean, come on. Even if Jimmy G's back, what is that supposed to do for me? Really? What is that supposed to do for me? If they give up 38, if they give up 28 in the first half again, we're going to have real problems with the Detroit Lions. And they're going to be opening the door potentially, you know, to a Vikings team that's not as dead as they look with their star receiver on IR and rumors about their QB. Keep piling on the lead. Detroit wins this one at home. Next, we have our Thursday night football game for week nine. The Tennessee Titans head to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. Unclear if Ryan Tannehill will be able to go in that one. I'm not sure it necessarily matters to me. Uh, I'm going to take Pittsburgh to win this one at home. First of all, they're at home. Second of all, on short rest, 
potentially the backup QB. They're good at forcing turnovers. They're good at rushing the QB. Pretty good at stuff in the run, I think, sometimes when they commit to it. I don't think Tennessee's going to be able to pull it off. Not to mention George Pickens is quietly kind of not bursting out. I don't know if I'd go that far, but kind of blossoming a little bit when they can get the ball downfield when Matt Canada isn't, you know, stoically watching them succeed with a play call that was not his. Give me Pittsburgh to win this one at home. That'll bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports, episode number 175. Thank you all for joining us, folks. Again, I'm sorry we're going up Saturday night instead of Friday. We aim for Friday, but uh, I'm a little under weather, as I'm sure you could tell from my voice as the episode went on and on. It's getting a little harder, but we got the content out there for you. I know you all out there appreciate it. Whether you've been here for one episode or, shockingly, 175, thanks for joining us. Come back next weekend. We'll break down week eight. We'll dive into week nine. And we'll start to really shape up as we get to the mid-season point of the 2023-24 NFL season. As always, folks, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off. <laughs>